Uh, today, you know, believe it or not, this is the second year in a row that we have an extended tax filing deadline. You know, we're living in some crazy times, and it certainly can have big effects on our finances. So whether it's your tax situation for 2020, your investment portfolio, or your retirement plan, unexpected challenges are never easy. So in today's show, we'll discuss what's going on in our world that could affect you and how you can prepare for your future and your retirement no matter what happens. So if you have questions, you're in the right place. Here's what we're going to cover in today's show. We're going to cover about the details on the extended tax filing deadline and what opportunities that may present for you. We'll talk about the latest Federal Reserve meeting and what they're saying about the economy, uh, where the economy inflation and inflation could be headed over the next five, seven, eight years. Uh, ways that you can reduce taxes if you're over 50 years old. Um, and we're going to have a segment uh, later in the show on COBRA health insurance. How does COBRA health insurance actually work? And I'll clear up a few misconceptions some people often have about COBRA. We'll also answer retirement questions you may have. Um, you know, we help, we can help you in all areas of your retirement planning, including tax minimization. I know right now, you know, we just were part of a survey of people all across the country. Uh, our clients were part of that survey. And uh, retirees and soon-to-be retirees' number one concern moving forward uh, is, ta- is income taxes and how you can minimize your income taxes. Where, where might taxes be, be headed in the future? With all of the government spending that we're seeing and the federal debt, uh, it makes sense that that's the number one concern that, that people have that are retirement age. Uh, the number two concern is health care costs that continue to escalate. And, you know, a lot of, you know, Medicare certainly factors into that. But th- th- these are all things that we work with, you know, tax planning, investment planning, how to structure income in retirement, certainly your uh, health care strategy, um, and uh, estate planning. That's really all the, fu- the fundamental five areas of a financial plan. Uh, and it is what I teach in my classes. You know, my next class is at the University of Tennessee at the beginning of May. You can get more information on that uh, at my website. Uh, go to broganfinancial.com, click on classes. You can also go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Uh, that's the, the, the webpage for the UT class. Uh, and you can download a syllabus and find out more. Also, if you ever want to come in uh, for an appointment or you want to have an introductory phone call uh, with me directly for 15 minutes, you can always feel, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, give us a call at 865-862-6800 or visit us online at broganfinancial.com. Now, let's start with what's going on in the world. The federal income tax deadline, you may have heard, it's been extended to May the 17th, so a little over one month. May 15th is on a weekend, Uh, so it's May the 17th. This also means the deadline to contribute to an IRA and potentially to other types of retirement accounts if you're self-employed has been extended because you've got until you're filing uh, to fund many retirement accounts. So let's talk a little bit about do's and don'ts. 
Uh, now, the extension only applies to 2020 personal income tax returns at the federal level. So if you have a state income tax, uh, if, you, uh, you know, if you have anything going on in another state and have to file an income tax return, that is not extended. If you're a business owner and you have an F&E tax in Tennessee, franchise and excise tax, that's not extended. Likewise, if you have corporate income tax returns um, or income ret tax returns for estates and trusts, those are not extended. It is purely individual federal income tax returns that have been extended. Uh, also, your first quarterly estimated tax payment for 2021 is still due by April 15th. So it's kind of a funny situation, and this happened last year too. You know, you don't have to, there's no penalty for delaying your filing and also delaying what you owe from April 15th to May the 17th. No additional penalty there. Uh, but you do have to pay that first quarterly payment if that's applicable to you for 2021. So you're actually going to be paying 2021 taxes before you finish up paying your 2020 taxes. <clears throat> now, what does that mean for you? It means that uh, you've got a little bit more time on your side. You can also look at funding your retirement accounts. Uh, our, now, not your company 401k if you work for someone else, but if you have an IRA, you've now got till May 17th. You've, you've also, if you have a solo 401k or a SEP IRA if you're self-employed, both of those are plans for self-employed. You have more time to fund those. And I do want to mention for those of you self-employed, you know, a lot of people do SEP IRAs. SEP stands for Simplified Employee Pension IRA. It's for self-employed individuals. Uh, that don't, and, and typically when you don't have workers, although you, you can have workers, but there's some rules you have to follow. What a lot of you may not be aware of is Solo 401k. You can set up, if you have no W-2 employees, you can be paying people, but if they're 1099s, they don't count. If you have no W-2 employees, you can do a Solo 401k. And many of you can put either more money in the Solo 401k or... Um, Put in, well, either more money or you can do some Roth options. And, and it's a very important thing for you to know about. A lot of self-employed people don't know about this. I found a lot of CPAs are not really up on the Solo 401k law. Now, you cannot set up a Solo 401k and fund it for 2020 if you don't already have it set up. But you can set up for 2021. And you do have until your tax filing next year to fund it. It's just the account has to be set up. Even if it's not funded, you have to have the account set up by the end of the calendar year for which you're funding it. Um, but you can fund it more quickly because you can put in 100% of your first $26,000 of business income if you're over age 50 and 100% of the first 19000 if you're, uh, you know, if you're under 50. So it's just important to know what all these rules are and how you can use them to your advantage. Now, some other things that come up with tax planning, since it is uh, right now, at least in the, you know, it's not a scientific survey that we did that we were part of across the country, but it was in, I think, close to 30 different markets.
And welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. And we had a little bit of technical connection issue there. I apologize as we uh, kind of lost my connection there. Uh, but uh, be careful out. There's going to be weather throughout the entire weekend, I believe. Um, you know, I was talking about taxes, and I want to wrap that up. You know, I was talking about the filing deadlines, but then what do you need to be doing looking forward? And I do want to hit on one thing quickly, and that is um, c- capital gains, long-term capital gains specifically. You know, a lot of a lot of people talk about Roth conversion, and Roth conversion can be a very powerful tool, especially when you're in the early years of retirement. There's a sweet spot between the day you retire and age 72, because at 72 you have to start taking taxable distributions from your retirement accounts. So you're going to lose some of your tax planning flexibility and control. So Roth conversion can be powerful, but what a lot of people don't really think about is long-term capital gains. So long-term capital gains is one of the greatest things that Congress has given us in the Internal Revenue Code. You know, for just about all taxpayers, your long-term capital gains rate is much more preferential than ordinary income taxes. And when you invest in a retirement account, you know, everything coming out of a retirement account is taxed as ordinary income. So you know, you don't get capital gains tax treatment on the things in your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. But on non-IRA investments, you can get long-term capital gains. And the location of your investments are a very important part of your, not only investment plan, but also your tax plan. You know, do you have investments situated where you can actually take advantage of long-term capital gains? We have many clients that, that, that we help every year in the fall take advantage of selling and, and experiencing long-term gains at a 0% tax rate. And you can immediately buy it back. There's no, there's no wash sale rule. You don't have to wait any period of time to buy back a stock or a fund or anything that has a capital gain. Uh, there's, that, that only applies to losses where you can't buy it back immediately and, and realize the loss. So gain harvesting is very powerful. And we don't know how long we're going to have the tax treatment of long-term capital gains. Now, the Biden administration has talked about eliminating long-term capital gains rates for people over a million dollars of income. And certainly, a lot of, there's not a lot of people, not a lot of you that would make more than a million dollars of income. But once you open Pandora's box and you have a class of taxpayers that don't get long-term capital gains rates, well, where does that go over the next 5 or 10 or 15 years? Because everybody's concerned about future tax rates. So what happens with long-term capital gains? But in the meantime, you need to have an investment and financial plan that allows you to take advantage of long-term gains. And that means you have to have capital investment, investment in things that can get long-term gains tax treatment after you've held them for a year. That would be stocks, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, real estate, anything that could go up in value. And then after a year, you can get that. But see, a lot of people, I I can't tell you how many people have had come into my office in the last couple of months, and their non-IRA investments, they don't have structured in a way to really effectively take advantage of long-term capital gains 
tax treatments two, three, four years down the line. So that's something you could be looking at. So on your tax planning, it's important. It's not just you know, what you do every year this time of year when you file your taxes. It's looking forward and being intentional about how you're going to be taxed not only now but also into the future. Okay? Um, all right, I'm going to get into the latest Federal Reserve meeting, which, which took place recently. They discussed, federal, they discussed interest rates, they discussed the economy, and they discussed inflation. And that's another thing people are worried about in the future is higher inflation. But, you know, many people also see potentially, uh, you know, roaring economic growth the remainder of this year, especially the last six months of the year, you know, with the, the economy roaring back to life. So in the Federal Reserve meetings recently, um, which is, was, were held just about one year after the lockdown started in March of last year, um, they forecast, the Federal Reserve forecasted that, that interest rates will remain where they've been for a year and, and that they likely won't raise them until 2023. So we've, we've got at least probably two more years, at least under current projections, of the overnight borrowing weight with the Federal Reserve being zero to a quarter of a percent. Now that's the, the, the rate the banks pay each other and then when they, you know, on overnight lending rates. So that's not necessarily what you pay or, or you, what, you know, when you buy, have an in, a loan or where, when you invest in a CD or a bond. And, the, and, and one of the things that's been discussed at length is the concern of rising interest rates. So the Fed, on the one hand, is saying they're going to keep rates near zero, but that's the overnight borrowing rate. What about the 10-year Treasury note has continued to escalate? It was under 1% for close to a year. Now it's, now it's pushing up over 1.5%. So it's been going up, and so and, and many people are concerned about short-term inflation. Inflation is back at two percent. It's the highest it's been since uh, I think 2014. Uh, and the Fed has said they'll they'll tolerate inflation rising above two percent for a period of time before they would look at raising rates. So the Fed is not concerned about this becoming a a longer-term inflationary issue. But then we're also looking at some pretty nice economic growth this year. The Fed is forecasting 6.5% growth in GDP in 2021. Uh, many other economists are saying maybe even up to 7%. They're also forecasting the unemployment rate to drop down p potentially under 5% by the end of the year. That is extraordinary to me. I really didn't think that was possible that quickly. I thought 6% might be a new normal. You know, there have been some jobs that have been lost that are permanently lost, especially in, you know, uh, especially with everything going more virtual and, uh, you know, and then some of the jobs in the tourism and travel industry. But, you know, to, to forecast under 5% unemployment and GDP growth at 65 to 7% is really extraordinary. Now, keep in mind that we have to temper those economic growth numbers because we're coming off a much lower number. You know, the economic, we were in recession last year. So growth in GDP this year is coming off a much lower number because economic, you know, the economy contracted last year shrunk because of the pandemic. But as this explosive growth happens, uh, 
you know, that we could see some inflation in 2021. I'm not as worried into 2022 and 2023. What I am worried about is this low interest rate environment. I do think rates will go back down before they do continue back up. Uh, and retiring into a low interest rate environment like this could be very dangerous for today's retirees. Persistent low interest I mean, we're, we're really in the lowest interest rate environment we've ever been in, at least in the modern era, if we go back to you know, the last 10 to 12 months. Yeah, the 10-year Treasury is back over 1%, but it was under 1% for almost a year, 9 or 10 months. And to put that in perspective, it had never been below 1%, the 10-year Treasury yield. Never in our history. So it lasted for, you know, 9, 10 months, something like that. So pretty remarkable. And here's the challenge with that, is traditional bond investment could be very dangerous to today's retirees. You know, interest rates and traditional bond values move in an opposite direction. In other words, if interest rates go up, traditional bond values go down. So only two things can happen. Either interest rates stay very, very low. I mean, they can go back down a little bit, but they can't go down much. So they either stay in this low zone, or in, in which case bonds aren't yielding anything, or, or very little, or interest rates go up and bonds do even worse. So it, it you know, the, the traditional model of, of edging stock market risk and providing diversification with traditional bonds you know, the reason that's worked historically is because when the stock market is volatile, people are rushing to the safety of bonds. So it can add some diversification in a portfolio. The challenge is, while it helps in the short term, over the next 10 years, in my opinion, it's going to kill your investment returns. It, 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 it'll produce a tremendous, potentially a tremendous lag on your investment returns. So what you need is you need a plan for diversification that can add a little bit of stability without shooting yourself in the foot over the long term. And so diversification needs to look different than it did his historically over the last 40 or 50 years. And that means looking at alternative things like commodities, like energy, like real estate, like how can you have bonds in the portfolio where you could still go up in value when interest rates rise and not down. There's ways to do that. And can't get into too much. I mean, not, there's non-traditional bonds that have very there, there's way that have variable rates. There's ways to hedge for for um, rising rates. So there are more creative ways to hedge risk without using that 60, 40, 70, 30 mix where the 30 to 40 percent is in traditional U.S. bonds. So you've just it's this is a significant issue for today's retirees. I would say this may be the single biggest issue today's retirees face, even bigger than the future of our income tax system. Now I think the future of income taxes is very, very important and is a big concern. But I think for today's re people retiring now or in the next several years, uh, I think the low interest rate environment is potentially the biggest risk. You, you have to have a plan to address this issue. All right. Um, now, likewise, inflation is probably going to stay low for a while. And there's risks down the road. 
But in the meantime, a diversified investment plan is still going to probably over the next five to seven or eight years, I believe, the best way to, to earn enough to beat inflation. Interest rates are super low. So a diversified risk-based investment plan is probably going to be the best way to beat inflation. But, you know, but, but those are, those are longer-term investments. You know, on a diversified and risk-based investment plan, we don't know where it'll be in a year or two or three years. We've got to be looking out five to seven years to be able to ride through ups and downs. And so your income plan is a big component of that, too how you structure income, how you structure access to money in the next five or six years, th those types of monies that you would have access to for income or for an emergency fund if you're younger, whatever the case may be, those really shouldn't be in the stock market because you're just gambling, all right? But you've got to, you know, the, but the, the investment plan, you know, one of the keys to being successful long-term is being invested when we have market surges. And we don't know when those surges are going to happen, and we don't know when they're going to end, and we're going to have bear markets. We just know we're going to have bull markets, and we're going to have bear markets. And you need to be invested in the bull markets and not lose too much in the bear markets. So that's how you structure income. It's how you uh, hedge risk. Uh, but we've got to do it in a smart way in such a low interest rate environment. Okay? So there are challenges. Now, when we come back... I want to talk a little bit more about where the economy may be headed. And then I also want to talk about a hidden tax increase in the new tax relief bill that was passed by Congress. So stay tuned. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. Now, we air every Saturday right here at News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We, we air at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. So if you've missed part of today's show, you can also catch the rest of it this afternoon at 3 p.m. Now, as we look at the recent... Uh, uh, the recent stimulus bill, there's a hidden tax increase in this. And a lot of people aren't aware of that in this American Rescue Act. Starting next year, more gig workers will have to report their income for taxes. So if you're working to report, you know, to, to work part-time or be self-employed in retirement and do virtual work in the gig economy, uh, you could end up looking at, uh, at having more taxable income. And then the, 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 real, the real big impact is that starting in 2023, any, when you sell things online, like through eBay or Poshmark and uh, Etsy, sites like that, you'll receive a 1099 for any income you receive over $600. And it used to be $20,000 was the threshold. So this is a big deal. You know, if you sell some things online, you, you know, you normally just put that in your pocket. You don't think about it. But, you're, you know, if it's over $600 over the course of a calendar year, you're going to get a 1099. Now, that, that part starts in 2023. So for gig workers online, that's 2022. But for selling things and looking at things like that is 2023. So I, I think, you know, it's, a, it's, it's important to be aware of 
what most of you are aware of in the sense that we've got a budget issue, we have huge federal debt, and we're likely to see tax increases in the future. Um, well, even if the even if nothing changes, we'll have a tax increase in 2026 because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires. But it's likely we'll see other tax increases, and then sometimes we see these hidden things that people don't even think about. And there are other ways that we see hidden tax increases. Now, many people are, you know, would say that the prices we're paying at the pump right now for increased gas costs are hidden tax increases. Uh, but I would say when we look at, this, at, at revenue that's going directly to the, out of our money directly to the government, you know, we can see an effect on that with our Medicare premium. The more money you make, the more you pay in Medicare premium. The more money you make, the more you potential tax you potentially pay on your Social Security income. Uh, and those numbers do not adjust every year for inflation. So the, 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 two, the two acts of Congress that were passed in the 80s and in the 90s that assess taxation on your Social Security income, they, they set certain thresholds, and if you go over those, you pay more tax on your Social Security income. Um, they, they haven't changed. They haven't gone up in 30, 40 years. So, you know, it's a hidden tax increase every year for today's retirees. When those, when those laws were passed back in the early 80s, they said, hey, up to 50% of your Social Security income could be subject to income tax. Now, that's not a 50% tax. It's saying, hey, if you draw 30000 in Social Security, up to 15000 is taxed as ordinary income. Then they added another layer in, in the 90s of you could have up to 85% of your Social Security income be taxed. Well, when that first law was passed in the 80s, there weren't a lot of people making more than the threshold. And it was provisional income. It was income over $32,000 for, for joint filer, 25 for a single filer. Well, those thresholds haven't gone up. So it's been almost 40 years since that bill was passed. And... You know, $32,000 now isn't nearly what it was 40 years ago. So that's a hidden tax increase. Uh, inflation is, an, is, is a powerful enemy of, infl of, of retirement income. I, I call it the silent killer. It's like, it's like cholesterol. You know, it slips up on you, and before you know it, you're like, well, where did my income go? It, it, it doesn't have the immediate impact of losing money in a stock market correction. But over time, it just eats away at your income. And so, you know, the Fed, it, it, inflation is now 2%, highest it's been since 2014. It's expected to climb a little bit higher in the short term. If inflation in the long haul is 2%, so let, let, let's just do some math on that. If you retire and you need $70,000 of income, to pay your bills and live the way you live. Let's just pick a number, $70,000. In 20 years, to buy the same amount of stuff at a 2% inflation rate, you're going to need just under $105,000. It's just right at a 50% increase in income. So that's some pretty easy math. You know, if you need 80000 now, you're going to need 120000 in 20 years. 
If you need 100,000, you're going to need 150,000 in 20 years. So, you know, let, let's put it another way. Let, let's use round numbers. Let's say you need 100,000 now. That means in 20 years, you're going to need 150, almost, almost roughly. So if you're still at 100,000 in 20 years, instead of 150, you've taken an income cut of 33%. You've lost a third of your income. It, it doesn't look like it, but that's what you've lost in terms of what you can buy. So it's just, it's important to understand all these risks with like hidden tax increases, inflation. We, we understand market risks, but we also have to understand these other hidden risks in retirement. Okay. Um, now, when we come back from our last break, I want to talk a little bit about how COBRA works when you leave an employer plan. A lot of, a lot of you may be looking to do that before you're 65 and can go on Medicare. Uh, also, um, I, I do want to mention my next upcoming class is at the University of Tennessee. It's the first, uh, it's, it's early May. Um, the dates, it's, it's called Financial Survival for Retirement is the name of the class. And you can find all my class schedule at financialsurvivalforretirement.com. That's the name of the class, like I said. And it's May the 4th and 11th. So that's coming up here in just over a month. It'll be my last class for the spring. I won't have any classes until August. Uh, so it's your last chance. It'll be a two-part class, two two-hour sessions on May the 4th and 11th. You can find out more information uh, at financialsurvivalforretirement.com. You can download a syllabus. Uh, you can also click to register. Uh, if you want to come into my office for an appointment, uh, or if you want to just speak with me for 15 minutes and ask me a few questions on a phone call, um, I'll schedule a 15-minute call. You can talk directly to me. So you can, uh, you can either call our office at 865-862-6800, or you can go to my website at broganfinancial.com. You can, you can, uh, there's a link there if you want to sign up for a complimentary consultation. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into healthcare and Medicare and especially COBRA and clear up some common misconceptions. So stay tuned as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Thanks for listening. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. And we're on every week right here on, this, on News Talk at uh, 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Let's talk about health, health insurance and especially COBRA. You know, there are some misconceptions about COBRA and what it covers, what the law says, and all those, what it costs, all those kinds of things. You know, it, it's an increasing issue with health care coverage if you retire before you're 65, because then you have to cover yourself until Medicare age. Uh, or if you, you know, lose a job and, you need to go, and you're looking for a new job. You know, you'll have to wait to sign up for Medicare at 65, and you'll have to find another way to cover yourself for health insurance if you retire before 65. So the rule on COBRA, here's some basic facts. So employers with 20 or more 
full-time employees that are employees, W-2 employees of the company, typically uh, offer COBRA coverage, have to. And that means, and, and so what COBRA says is that you're allowed to maintain coverage with that employer plan for 18 months after you begin unemployment or, or after you know, you know, after you cease to actively work or be at service with that employer. Now, a lot of people are like, oh man, Cobra's expensive. Well, it does look expensive. However, it's actually, the, the, the company is not charging you some exorbitant premium. They're, they're, they're just, you're just having to pay the premium that they've been paying. You're having to pay the full thing. So, you know, like at my company, we pay 90% of our employees' health care in, in, in health insurance. So for the employee, we pay 90% of their insurance costs. So they pay 10%. So, you know, you're going to have different things with different employers. But l let's say that's what your company does. Well, then if you lose your job or you retire early, you've got to now pay your, your 100% of your insurance premium instead of 10% or whatever it is that you have to pay. Now, the employer can add a 2% surcharge on there just to kind of handle their, their administrative work so they can charge 102%. But the reason it looks so expensive is you're now having to pay all of the premium. Whereas before, the employer probably paid a significant part of the premium. Now, the latest, the latest COVID relief bill gives more than 2 million laid-off workers the option to extend their workplace health insurance for free until the end of September. Uh, so you can extend it from April 1st to September 30th. If you, so any questions on that, you should call your health care administrator for your employer plan. You know, if you've been on COBRA and then you went off. Now, dealing with health insurance is very important in understanding Medicare. So let's get into a, just a little bit of a conversation about Medicare. Medicare kicks in at age 65. And, you know, unless you have a disability or something like that, you might could get on Medicare early. Part A of Medicare is your hospitalization, and it is typically free for Medicare beneficiaries. Most employer plans, if you're still working at 65, they'll want you to come on their med on. They'll they want you to go on Part A. You don't have to under the Medicare rules if you're still working, but a lot of employer plans will require you to. A lot of employer plans will require you to also enroll in Part B. That is your outpatient and all your doctors, so that's everything else other than hospitalization. Everything except for drugs, so that's doctor visits, blood work, lab work, x-rays, all of that stuff. And that's where you start have to start paying. And the more money you make, you might have to pay more premium. There are surcharges they can assess. For married filers, it's about over 175000 roughly. For single filers, it's half that, so about $87,500 you have to start paying Medicare surcharges. And most employer plans now that I see, uh, well, we'll just say a lot of them, will require you to come on Medicare when, you're 60, when you turn 65. So your Medicare becomes primary, and then your health insurance at work becomes secondary. Now, some, some employer plans do not require that. And if they don't require it, you can stay on your health insurance and not come on Medicare Part B or Part D, which is your drug coverage. 
And then you're not penalized. You know, if you don't come on Medicare when you turn 65, then you could be penalized when you do come on Medicare for not coming on when you were supposed to. But if you're still working and your employer doesn't make you take Part B, you are not penalized as long as you do it when you separate service. It's considered a qualifying event, and then you come on Medicare. Now, managing Medicare premium is, a, is an important part of your retirement planning. So how you structure income, how you structure investments, and how your investment income shows up on your tax return could drive up your Medicare premium costs. Also, your Social Security strategy is closely connected to your Medicare premium costs. Because guess what? If you have your Medicare premium deducted directly from your Social Security check, which is how most people, how most are going to want to do it. So your Medicare premium comes straight out of your Social Security check. There's a hold harmless clause that if you don't make too much money, and it's that same number, 175000 for joint filers and half that, 87500 for single filers roughly. If your income, it's a modified adjusted gross income, if it's under those amounts, there's a hold harmless clause that says your Medicare premium cannot increase more than your Social Security cost of living adjustment. You know, every year cost of living, uh, there are adjustments for, medic, for uh, Social Security income. Since 2011, the average Social Security adjustment's been a little under 1.5% per year. Now, prior to that, it had been higher, but since 2009, it's been a little under 1.5%. So, but, but three of those years, there's been no increase in, in Social Security income. And so 70% of Medicare beneficiaries saw no increase in their Medicare premium those years because their Social Security benefit didn't go up. You know, your net check cannot go down. Well, if you're not drawing Social Security, you're not eligible to, to, for, for that hold harmless clause. If one spouse is drawing Social Security and one spouse is not, the one spouse that is could potentially be protected. The spouse that is not is not protected. So Social Security strategy can actually affect your management of Medicare premium, as does your other tax planning. You know, all of these things are connected. Everything that shows up on an income tax return is connected in some way, shape, or form to all of these other things. And it's kind of like, I like to c compare your adjusted gross income, which is your taxable income prior to taking your deductions, like your standard deduction or if you itemize your Schedule A itemized deduction. So adjusted gross income is your taxable income prior to taking your deductions. It's not your final taxable income. And the adjusted gross income, I like to compare it to a pinball machine. You know, you, uh, the, the higher it shoots, that pinball shoots out, the more you can get affected and, and hit bumpers on the way down. And those bumpers are things like Medicare premium, taxes on Social Security income, and all these other things. Bottom line, all of this stuff is connected. It's important to understand how your health insurance works, your COBRA, your Medicare, and all of this tax and inflation 
risk that I've been talking about today. I'm out of time. It's kind of skipped up, slipped up on me here. I apologize, but thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Chris, uh, running the board. Thank you, Jill, helping produce the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.